Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. The word of the Lord, and you can be seated. The book of Exodus, chapter number 16. Bible says, and they took their journey from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sinai, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. Give honor to my bishop this morning before I get started. Appreciate him. Appreciate our pastor today for entrusting this moment to me. Uh, What an honor it is to speak to you whenever he is here. It's double honor when he's not. And uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I want to do some more teaching this morning with the help of the Lord on this subject. This is something that has been going through my spirit for several weeks now. Um, On this subject, we'll title the lesson this subject, The Age of entitlement. The age of entitlement. Now, there's there's different types of meals that we eat. I want to give you just a kind of a little bit of a disclaimer here before I get started today. There's different kinds of meals. When you sit down at the table, there's certain types of meals that you eat depending on what type of nourishment you're seeking. Uh, as a baby, that's generally all liquid. It's easy to digest. It doesn't require any chewing or flossing of teeth or brushing of teeth. You don't need any scope afterwards. It's just an easy meal. And then as you grow older, there's certain types of cuisines that your palate hungers for that require a little bit more digestion, like a steak dinner or a baked potato. Am I making anybody hungry that hasn't had breakfast yet? Uh, There's certain things that require more of our body to to process. This morning might be one of those meals that requires a little bit more to process. All right? Uh, So I I come with no hidden agenda today other than to deliver to you what I feel like is the word of the Lord for this day, for this hour. And uh, I ask you to receive it as such this morning in Jesus' name. Entitlement. It's an interesting subject. If you define it, it means the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. Now, I'm sure that you've never known anybody that felt that way. I can tell by your reaction you do. 
Some of you are probably thinking of a few individuals right now. Uh, could possibly be one sitting next to you. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not asking. But entitlement is present. And it is defined by one that is inherently the belief that a person is deserving of privileges or special treatment. Work. Paycheck. Family. House. Car. Things. In that order is how I was taught to approach my life as an adult. Any entitlement to things that I like or want is founded in the concept of if you want it, Bishop, work for it. It's not handed to you. Life isn't free. It's what I was taught. Life is not free. I feel entitled to a paycheck today every other week simply because I work for it. I put in my time for the company, and I earn my keep. So every other Thursday, I expect a paycheck in the bank because I do something for it. Interestingly enough, when you use the word work in that sentence, it no longer qualifies for entitlement. That's the separator. Now, now this, this is going to be spiritual this morning, I promise you. But it's going to take me a little while to get there. But that's the separator. When you, when you use the subject of work, entitlement no longer qualifies. Because now you're earning what is yours. You're not just expecting something without any effort. So that's the separator, is work. Those who feel entitled to something feel they deserve it and should not be asked to work. Or sacrifice for it. I want to make it very clear this morning that I understand there are people who, due to circumstances beyond their control, cannot work for themselves. Therefore, they are dependent on help from the government, their families, their friends, their community. I'm not referring to them. That, that is the furthest thing from my subject matter this morning. My references to entitlement this morning in this Bible lesson will be toward those that match the truest definition of the term that I can work for it, but why should I? Just give it to me. That's today's definition of entitlement. In a segment by Glenn Beck, he asserted that there are four cultural trends that contribute to the entitlement movement that we see today. They are the self-esteem movement, the celebrity culture movement, the emerging social media, and what is referred to as the credit bubble. And I'll define each of these for you real quickly. The self-esteem movement, raising kids with the you are special mantra. Follow me for just a second, parents. Raising kids by telling, I'm not telling you not to tell your kids that they're special. Every parent wants their child to think that they're special, but whenever everything they do is special, that is a problem. I can tell you as a parent of a just-turned 18-year-old that throughout his life, 
that every single solitary thing he's done, he's not been praised for. Because not everything he's done needed praise. Now, his mama and papa may not want to hear that this morning, but it's still true. There were, there were a few, sl- few flub-ups. There were a few mistakes that he made, Brother Daniel. There was a few times he tripped over himself that he got some coaching. He got some correcting. He got some biblical correcting at a few times. Amen. He, he got some very straightforward speech to tell him what was and what was not acceptable. But in those moments, as special as he was because he was our child, what he did was not special. But we live in an era today where parents are teaching their kids that every single thing they do and touch is special. It's dangerous. Self-esteem is good. Narcissism is not. The idea that I'm the best and no one is as good as me and I'm special no matter what I do is is not a healthy habit. That's where, forgive me for saying it this morning, but that's where participation awards have taken us. I remember what it was like on, uh, oh, I I don't remember what day, I don't don't remember what the term is, but that day of the year come springtime where you you have all kinds of activities and things outside. Do they still do that? Uh, I don't know if they do that or not, but whenever I was a kid, they did. Maybe I'm dating myself just a little bit. I'm feeling old right now. But there, there was a time where you had all these activities. You'd do the, a race, you'd do a, a, a relay, you'd do a, a potato sack race, and there was all kinds of stuff that probably the kids today don't have a clue what it is. They still do that? All right. Now, whenever I was a kid, if you lost, they told you. You lost. Now, the reason why I know that, Brother Bob, is because... I lost a few times. Now, this was not out yet. They didn't look at me and go, ha ha, loser. No one did that because that wasn't, that wasn't cool yet. But they didn't give, you know, everybody gets a ribbon today. Everybody gets a trophy. I, I didn't get a trophy unless, unless I deserved it. I, I didn't get a ribbon that said, great job. Unless I actually did a great job. So that taught competition. It taught the value of winning. And it taught me how to endure a loss. I'm going somewhere with all of this. Because there's a value in knowing how to lose. Now let me just do a little sidebar here. I feel in my spirit to tell you today that we need to be raising our children with the value, with the knowledge of the value of a loss. Because when they grow up and get out of your household, they're not going to win at everything. And we need to be imparting to them the knowledge and the education of knowing it's okay to lose every once in a while. God still loves you. So that's the self-esteem movement. I'm not moving as fast as I need to. I've got to go. Celebrity culture. Today we have reality TV shows. One of the worst things to ever hit the airwaves. 
of highly dysfunctional families and people and celebrities where we celebrate bad behavior. Rich celebrities are portrayed as ignorant people and they're worshipped by our modern day culture. And that's shaping the mentality of people. The emerging social media, the growth of social media has altered reality for some people. It has enhanced self-promotion. You want to be famous now? Just do the dumbest thing that you can think of and put it on YouTube. In a matter of months, you'll be a millionaire. But you'll have no integrity. You'll have no principles left. And people expect you to still continue in your stupidity. Social media offers a fake sense of who we are. Some people think they can get on there and say whatever they want to and that doesn't represent who they are. Because it's a fake sense of reality. But it is still reality. Let me tell you something. I look very carefully at anything before I forward it or repost it. Because, and I heard a basketball coach say this recently. Not a, not a, not a church pastor, not a minister, not a preacher. He's the co head coach of the University of Kentucky basketball. And he had gotten on his boys for reposting things that they didn't need to be reposted. And, and they said, well, well, we didn't say it. He said, you did say it because you reposted it. Let me tell you something. When you repost something or you share something or you press like on something, you are representing everything that is said. And if you wouldn't say it, don't share it, don't post it, don't like it. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Sometimes I'll even look at the content and see that the content's fine. Then I look and see what the name of the person who posted it was. And if it's something I can't represent because it's not a person's name, forget it. Because that represents me. There's people that don't see that yet. Technology is not all bad. But it's like fire. It serves a good purpose. But it can get completely out of control. The credit bubble. This, this culture feeds on comparison. Let me compare myself to you. And if you've got something I want, then I'm going to get it at any means possible even if I don't have the money for it. Now, you cannot deny the reality of this because we've got too many people going bankrupt. We're focused on materialism. Somebody else has a nice car. Well, they've got a nice car. I want a nice car. Okay, that's fine. Work for it. There's a pattern here. And we're going to get spiritual before it's over. Don't get nervous. Work for it. Entitlement. The, the mentality of entitlement is a dangerous mentality. Because it causes us to get our focus onto things that we really shouldn't be focusing on. I can remember, I can remember being an, an upper age teenager. Bishop, right before I was getting married. Because I got married very young. And so there was a lot of lessons I learned real quick about the art of paying bills. 
that $4.25 an hour job felt real good whenever I was living at home with mom and dad. I thought I had it. Like, this is all right. If I worked a full week, man, I was, I was banking like $280 a week. It's like, yes! When you're a teenager and you go from nothing to that, you're rich. It's feeling good. I, I, could, I could buy all the Mountain Dew I wanted to. It didn't make any, I could, get all, I could do whatever I wanted to within my means at that time. I can remember telling my parents, I want this type of house. I want this car. I, I've always had certain likes and dislikes that I'm not ashamed to articulate. You, if you want to ask me, I'll tell you. But I, I'm, I'm a very avid car enthusiast. I'm not a mechanic. I love cars. Uh, I don't like to work on them. I like to drive them. I like to look at them. Don't ask me to work on them. Lord have mercy. That's a dangerous subject. But I like them. And I can remember driving my 1971 Ford van. I wasn't ashamed because it had wheels. But if somebody pulled up in a nice IROC Camaro Z28, I'm dating myself again because they don't have those anymore. But if somebody pulled up in one beside me, boy, I had Camaro envy. Bad. It's like, yeah, that, that's, that's sharp right there. I want one of those. Somebody pulled up in a BMW Bishop. I was salivating. Man, I think I was born wanting one of those. I mean, it just whew, cut my teeth on the idea that, whew, maybe it's possible. And I can remember my dad telling me, don't expect what I have. Now, we didn't have a whole lot. We had a decent house. But I can remember him giving me a good lesson. It was a very short lesson, but it was a good lesson. He said, don't expect to have what I have until you've worked as long as I've worked to have what I have. Brother Daniel, I didn't like hearing that. It's like, wow, that hurts, Dad. He says the truth. I've worked hard to have what I have. And he said, if you work hard too, you can have what you want. But life's not going to give it to you. Five signs. This is in an article published a few years ago. Five signs of entitlement. The, the article's titled Entitlement in Kids, but I would, I would dare to, to present this this morning just period because it's not just children who feel entitled. But five signs of entitlement is, number one, I want it now. That's what I just got through talking to you about. He worked 20, 30 years to get what he had, and as an 18-year-old, I wanted it now. And his lesson to me was work. But we still have that in our culture today, and I would dare posture this morning that it's worse now than it was then. Everybody wants it now. We live in a microwave drive-through culture where if you want something, get it now. Number two is I don't want to work for it. Signs of entitlement. I don't want to work for it. Just give it to me. I deserve it. It fosters a cycle of laziness and poor work ethic when we constantly give our children things without requiring any work. Uh, I'll use my son once again as an example. People sometimes uh, provide a little slander toward our family, uh, to our face, uh, about him because he has ten guitars. He bought every one of them but three himself. 
He has an iPhone. He bought it himself. He has a, uh, an iPad. He bought it himself. Uh, he, he hasn't had everything handed to him. He's had to save his money. And, he's, and there's been a few times that he's tried to pull the whole credit bubble thing on old mom and dad to be his financer. And say, well, you've got the money. Just, just give it to me now and I'll pay you back later. Credit application, please. <laughs> no. But that's the culture we live in. Number three, and this is, this is one of my favorites, signs of entitlement. I don't have to clean up my own mess. Life is messy. This is about responsible living. And it, with regards to children... Teaching, let me, let, me, let me declare this this morning. Teaching your kids to pick up their own room has more to do with life than it does their room. It's called responsibility. But don't expect your kids to be responsible if you aren't. Number four, I want it because everyone else has it. How many parents have ever heard that one? Well, my best friend has one. I want one too. They may not even be interested in it, but because somebody else has it, they want one too. Number five, I expect you to fix all my problems. We want to help our kids. We want to help our families. But there's a fine line between helping and aiding bad behavior. Sometimes the best way you can help someone is to tell them no. Man, it's painful. Man, it's hard. Sometimes that's the absolute best lesson that somebody can be given is the words no. Then we have the millennials. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to pick on them this morning, but I've got to refer to them for a little while. They are people who are born generally between the early 1980s and 2004. Some say it ended earlier than that. No one's really positive on when they expect the that generation to have stopped. But they are today the hardest generation. I say this as an employer this morning. They are the hardest generation to manage or lead. Hardest. Because their philosophies and their ideals are different. They're not like your parents. They're not like Bishop's generation. They're not like, my generation is different than my parents' generation. So are the next generation. They are different. Here are some traits or habits of millennials as published in Inc. Magazine in October 2015. These are some of the challenging traits. Of course there are positives. I'm focusing on the opposite end of the spectrum this morning. But it is that they act overly entitled. I didn't write those words. Someone else did. Being overly certain, too much confidence, lack of focus, only out for themselves, refusing to pick up the telephone. Well, I know that one's right. Inability to take or give criticism because of participation awards. No one's ever told them no. Just a little sidebar, I've got a group of employees at work that struggle because mom and dad never told them no and they don't think I should either. Wrong. They don't think that they've got to work and perform in order to keep their job. So whenever they come to get fired, 
They don't understand why. Because we've been telling you you've got to show up to work to keep your job. Can anyone agree with that? Thank you, baby boomers. <laughs> Thank you. Whoo, hallelujah. Oh, i got to keep going. Talking more than listening. Acting too cool to care. Very dramatic when making mistakes. And it's usually someone else's fault. Too much multitasking. Expecting too many perks. I'll tell you something, I'm 42 years old and I just now got to a place where I've got a few perks. And they still come with accountability. Not being willing to take time to learn. Not being able to disconnect. Not reading things carefully. I know that one's real. And not being present in conversations. Because there's something, something with a blue screen always in front of them. Thanks to Bernie, we have a generation that believes college education should be free. He's not the president, so I can say that. Life isn't free. Nothing is free. Everything has a cost. And there are other examples that I could provide you this morning, but I have to hasten on because I want to provide some spiritual connection to my subject matter this morning. Nothing is free. There is always a price. And I'm stressing all these behavioral points this morning about millennials because I want you to understand they're not the only ones who have these struggles. They're not the only ones that have these type of behaviors. We are living in an age of entitlement that knows no generation. We are living in an age of entitlement that says, Give me what I want, not what I've earned. There are people that say, Give me a promotion. Are you qualified to do the job? No, but if you give it to me, I'll figure it out. I've had people tell me that within the last 12 months. No, I'm really not qualified for it, but if you give it to me, I'll work really hard. It don't work that way. You want to know the best way to get promoted? See me after church, I'll tell you. But God still blesses faithfulness. Faithfulness requires effort. Faithfulness isn't handed to you. Faithfulness is tested when you don't want to. Well, I was better off on the, st the statistics. God still blesses consistency. Thank you, elders. God will do for you after you've done all you can do for yourself. That's His plan. His plan was never to hand everything to me. His plan was never to just get, well, he died for my sins. Yes, he did. But he still requires an action from me. What's that? It's repentance. That requires something for me. Humility and understanding that I'm not everything I need to be. And then the next thing that requires an action from me is that I need to be baptized. In the only saving name that exists. Well, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost now. 
then the next action that is required for me is receiving the Holy Ghost. I'm not entitled to it. I'm saved by grace. There was a price. God doesn't owe you anything. Now, now hear, hear, me, hear me well this morning. I, I told you up front that this was going to be a, one of those harder to digest meals. And uh, I wanted you to know that early on so that it, maybe it would be a little bit more palatable and we could cut it into bite-sized chunks easier for chewing. But God doesn't owe you anything. And let me, let me clear the air on something. First of all, God is in control of everything. And that's easy for us to say amen to whenever everything's going good. But your faithfulness is not tested until you're tempted to not be faithful. And that comes through some type of trial or life circumstance or something that happens that causes you to say, oh, I think I'll just quit. Ask yourself this question. What action is quitting really going to solve? What is it really going to do for you? Where is it going to put you versus where not quitting will put you? Why is it we want God to do something for us? But don't think He should expect anything from us. That's a spirit of entitlement. Entitlement is not just out there. We have drugged the spirit and the attitude of entitlement right into the middle of the church. And I'm not saying just this assembly. It's not just this assembly, but I am speaking to this assembly this morning. We are not exempt from it at First Apostolic Church. We have drug entitlement into our presence. And we have said, okay, God, I'm here. I come every Sunday morning. I come every Sunday night, and I'll take care of it. So let me give you just a little bit of a news flash this morning. Breaking news. Attendance to church does not exempt, exempt you from life difficulties. Oh, but I'm faithful. Nah. If, if your judgment of faithfulness is just attendance, you're not faithful yet. We'll get there. So I ask you a question this morning. How has entitlement affected the church? How has entitlement affected the church? Well, I've got a few ways that I believe in my spirit this morning that I want to share with you that entitlement has impacted the church. People want healed by God, but they don't want to know Him. I'm taking my time on purpose. I want it to soak in. I want to provoke you to thinking, not provoke you to anger. All right? I've still got a smile on my face. And if it don't look like a smile, it's probably the best you're going to get. People want God's blessings, but they don't want to be a blessing to God. Come on now. People want to refer to God when they die. And in spite of not living for Him, expect heaven to be their destination. Now that sounds 
brash and cruel. And Bishop even said it recently, I believe. But there's, for some reason, I can't figure it out. People want to live however they want to live. But you go to a funeral home today, everybody's going to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. We're fooling ourselves if we think we can have family members live like the devil and get to a funeral home and say, oh, they're in a better place. We need to wake up in this hour to understand when people are or are not in a better place. Well, you're not supposed to be the judge. No, but the Word of God judges. Very plain and clear. And there's certain requirements to make it to a place called heaven that I understand what they are. And what I've heard my own father and and my own bishop preach at funerals through my lifetime of people that we knew by the word of God were not in alignment with His mercy and grace. I've heard them stand up and say they're in the hands of a merciful God. That's the best we can say. It's not for me to condemn them to hell, but it's not for me to put them through pearly gates either. They're in the hands of an almighty God. How i got to keep going. Clock's ticking. People come to church, and they want to feel God. Because His presence feels so good. But they want to feel God without worship. You worship. You get the presence of God. You kick your leg and make it happen. You help me feel better, Bishop, before I go home. I don't want to do it, but you give it to me. Hello? It's real. That's entitlement. When if you look in the Old Testament, the virtue of going to the tabernacle was you brought your own sacrifice. If you wanted your sins forgiven, you brought your own sacrifice for you and your family. Mm -mm -mm. This won't make the top ten on the podcast. People want to feel God without an emotional or intellectual attachment. And our audience here this morning is above age enough to take this statement. That's no more than a one night stand. Give me something that feels good, but don't make me be attached to you. That's entitlement. I want to feel good. Yeah, that's worldliness, all right. I want to feel good. Help me feel good, preacher. Tell me something that sounds good. If that's, your, if that's your modus operandi this morning, I've disappointed you horribly. Entitlement, ladies and gentlemen, is dangerous because it will wreck and destroy your soul before you ever even leave the church. You'll, you'll still come to church, but you won't be saved. Mm. People want a church to go to but don't want to commit to the church so that the church can't depend on them. Just about everything we do around here, if we do it, it happens with a group that is largely made up of volunteers. 
So if there are things that you think we should be doing that we're not, it's probably because we don't have enough help. Two things that that are affected by people wanting a church to go to but don't really want the church to go to them. That's attendance and volunteer work. Let's look at the subject of attendance for a moment. Now, our crowd is very thin this morning, largely in part, as far as we know it, due to sickness. We run a reasonable crowd on Sunday mornings, uh, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, And I'm not here to abuse those that are here. But let me just share something with you this morning uh, for the sake of consideration. How many people do you think we have in this church? 90? 105? 35? 60? Well, those are some awfully extreme swings there, Brother Mason. That's right. That's the swing from a Sunday morning to a Sunday night to a Wednesday. And we don't have that many people that work second shift. Now, I think our knife just cut into the bone there just a little bit. That was a little hard, so. I'll give you time to to, to chew that and spit the bone back out. Grab your napkin. Nobody will see it. But it's still true. I declare that with love this morning. It's still true. Why is it we're declaring on a Sunday morning that we love him? And then on Wednesday night, we don't know who he is. When Hebrews tells us very clearly, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, so much the more as you see the day approaching. If you don't think the day is approaching now, I don't know when you're ever going to wake up. We are living in an hour where Jesus is about to come, and we must, 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 must be ready. And I'm not going to be ready sitting at home on the couch. Your TV evangelist isn't going to save you. People want a church to go to. Has padded pews and chairs. And is modern in its approach with technology and events that are hosted don't want to pay tithes or offerings to support the ability to be able to do it. Oh, I know it's gotten quiet this morning. You notice we don't have padded pews right now. I want you to make recognition of that. This is just a little case study this morning. We don't have padded pews, and it's not because we're opposed to them. I'll let you fill in the read between the lines. It's not because we're opposed to them. Matter of fact, I talked to a pastor a couple of years ago and got a quote from a company on replacing every one of these pews with padded chairs. They're easy to manage. They're easy to straighten. They're easy to clean. You can add. You can take away. gives you all kinds of versatility. There's only one thing stopping it. Come over here by Bishop. All right. That feels better. That 10%, let me give you a little biblical mathematics 101. That 10% does not belong to you. 
That's not my policy. That's God's policy. That's God's math. Offerings is a different subject. Tithing is mandatory. The Bible says that he loves a cheerful giver. That's referring to offerings. But tithing is not optional according to the word of God. I don't care what kind of church you come from or how optional they made it. I'm telling you what the word of God said, and we're getting ready to open the book and look at it. But I, 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 I've got, I may have a little bit of an axe to grind this morning. That's why I'm sitting by Bishop, so I feel a little bit better and a little safer. But I, it is beyond me how and why we can look at, and I'm not going to name names or titles this morning, but we can look at the denominal world who are not apostolic Pentecostal, who do not believe in the Holy Ghost, but they, they have churches that fill up from the front to the back. Because they largely in part teach a doctrine that is, you do whatever you want to, just come to church. All right? I'm not trying to be disparaging toward them. I'm not calling any names. But they also have one thing right. Their people pay tithes. Why and how do they build the big buildings? Because their people pay tithes. I had a supervisor 25 years ago on a job who looked at me and he said, for 20 years, we got, I don't remember what got us on the subject. He said, but for 20 years, I worked two full-time jobs. And one of them was just to support my church. He was not Pentecostal. But his church expected him in January of every year to say, I'll give X amount of money. And we're not talking about the pledges we do no, no. where it's $5 a month for missions or $10 a month. They expected thousands of dollars, 10, 20, 30, 40, especially if your kids are going to go to their school. All right. Come on now. So rather than take out a loan for it, or, or he had to take out a loan for it, he went and got another full-time job working second shift just so he could pay that off. Woo. Now my question to you this morning, is how can we sit in a church where that we are baptized with the Spirit of Almighty God? And we feel His presence. I don't think there's a person in this room this morning that could deny the fact that you have sat in this building, stood in this building, and felt the presence of a God that you cannot see. This is not a dry church. This is not a cold church. You don't have six-foot icicles standing behind this pulpit. You've got people coming to you with fire, fervor, and Holy Ghost. How and why can we have God's absolute best? Yet we can't surrender to Him first fruits that He's commanded in His Word. But people that don't have His best, people that lack His Spirit and His fire, people that lack His doctrinal truth, just take out their wallets and unfold it. Church, we need to take up a special offering this morning. I'll give a hundred. I'll never understand that. Because it's in accordance with the basic laws of investment. If you're going to invest your money in something, it's because you believe in it. 
So allow me a moment this morning to humbly and sincerely yet boldly hold up a mirror to you and declare to you this question. Why is it you don't give? Is it because you don't believe in it? There's entitlement all around us. I'm just trying to give us a wake-up call this morning. We feel entitled to come and get in his presence. But God don't require anything from me. He doesn't owe us anything. We must not be overtaken by entitlement in this age. And believe the lies that God owes us something. You want protection for your family? You serve him. Brother James, if you'll cue up that picture for me. I'm going to explain this in a moment, but the caption says, Sometimes you don't even realize what God is doing for you. Let me read you a scripture while you're staring at that this morning. The scripture is in Malachi 3.10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Verse number 11 says, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Man, that's powerful. Let me tell you something. Some of the benefits of paying tithes to the Lord. Right here. The benefits is not always in your wallet. You want ultimate protection for you and your family? You give to God. Why should I give him? Because he'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Look at this illustration. You've got an angel over here stopping a mugger. You've got an angel here stopping someone else. You've got angels all around you that you can't see as you walk through life stopping all kinds of distractions and all kinds of hatred and all kinds of enemy attacks. How does that happen? He's rebuking the devourer for your sakes. And the only way that we wake up God to rebuke the devourer on our behalf is to bring tithes to the storehouse. That's what the Bible says. I'm not preaching this this morning because your tithes come to me. They don't. Your tithes don't go to bishop. Your tithes don't go to pastor. Your tithes go to the general fund of this church to keep the lights on. To keep the fans spinning for those that's hot and to give us electricity to turn them off when you're cold. See, that covered everybody. Your tithes go to supporting any and all types of improvements that we need to make in this church. You like that men's restroom in the front? Looks good, don't it? Wasn't free. You want to get rid of this ugly carpet that's in here? It's not free. No one's going to give us carpet. We're going to have to buy it. I have a vision of expanding this platform to make room for a 35 voice choir. Well, who's the 35 people? I don't know. But we're never going to get there until we make some investments in the kingdom of God to allow us to see vision come to reality. We need a new heater pump for the baptismal pool. $3,000. It's not free. Not done yet. I didn't come to beg for money this morning. I just come to teach. The Word of God does its job. I know from personal experience I've lost my job twice. Both due to conditions. Neither were my fault. 
And both times, unavoidably, three months one time, ten months the next, God met every single solitary need that I had. Why? Because he rebuked, can you put it back up there, Brother James? He rebuked the devourer. He saw a man walking down the sidewalk, unemployed, needing to protect his family. So God said, enemy, you back up. You back up. You get You back away because I'm going to protect him. We are living in an age of entitlement, but we need to wake up in the apostolic church and know that God's still able. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord this morning. Return on investment is not always in money. Sometimes it's in health. Sometimes it's in protecting you from things you don't even know were about to happen. But entitlement breeds an attitude of self-worth and selfishness. And it's ugly in its behavior. It's a me-centric behavior that's toxic to the child of God. I'll tell you one thing I love about coming to church other than, other than my own personal worship. I love music, I love singing, I love to worship God. I love His Word. Bishop, it's another opportunity for me to realize and understand and just be reminded by God that I'm not all that. That I need somebody. I, I, I work in a position, God has, God has blessed me. I haven't gotten to where I've gotten because anybody handed it to me. I work for every single thing I've gotten. Hard. But I've gotten to a position now in certain company, in certain groups of people. Bishop, I can walk in the room and whatever I say is what's going to go. Now that didn't happen overnight. And it didn't happen without me first having the ability to follow someone. But I can walk in the room and, and they can ask me a question, and I'll give them an answer. And I hope to my, my best that I gave them a good answer because I know every person in that room is going to listen. Well, that can go to your head if you're not careful. I'm, I'm thankful to have an opportunity to come to church and have God keep me grounded and remind me that He's superior to me. Come on now. I don't need to feel entitled, is what I'm saying. You don't need to feel entitled. Exodus 16 and verse number 4, I'm closing this morning. It says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. Here's the phrase now, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. The word prove 
In Exodus 16.4 comes from the Hebrew word nasah, which means just simply to prove. God was going to prove to Israel who he was. Malachi 3 and 10 uses, if you can put it back up, Brother Malone, Malachi 3 and 10 uses the word, and prove me now. Bring you all the times into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now. The word prove there comes from a, a Hebrew word, bachan, which means to examine or investigate. God's not trying to prove anything to you at that point. What he's doing, what he's telling you, let me put it in today's modern day English. He's saying, I double dog dare you to pay your tithes and prove me whether or not it works. That's what he's saying. He's saying, investigate me. But don't investigate me as a spectator. Investigate me with your first fruits. First fruits means the first. So you get $100, the first check you write, the first payment you make is a $10 reserve for tithes. When I was a teenager, I had a job weeding my aunt's house and property. $30 a month, Brother Bob, I thought I was something. All I got to do is grab a weed eater, $30 a month. Every time she gave me that, that 10 and that 20, I went to somebody and got cash, Bishop. The first thing I did, because my parents taught me, the first thing I did, that's another clue right there. The first thing I did was take three ones, stick them in an envelope. First day I ever paid tithes. By the time I got home, I had $81 in my wallet cash, and I don't know how it happened. What did God do? He proved me. I gave him an opportunity to prove himself and I said, three dollars, here you go, Lord. I love you. And by the time I got home that day, he had, I don't, I don't even know what that percentage is, but it's big. He had taken three dollars given and turned it into 81. I only had 30 dollars to give tithes on to begin with. You know what I did when I was unemployed? I paid tithes on unemployment. There were people that thought I was stupid for doing that. Because according to our bylaws in our church, well, I didn't have to. I got checked, Sister Margaret, every month for unemployment, and it wasn't much. It was, it was. Lord have mercy. It was pinto beans. It was nothing. But whatever it was, it was 10% of it was given back to God. I close with this. This is just one story out of many that we have. But my wife and I were out and about one day. Sister Angie Craig was moving. I was unemployed. I, had, I was physically fit. I had no reason not to help. So we went and we helped her move, Bishop. We had a good time of fellowship that day. Got back to the house around 2, 2.30. The mail had already come. We walked up, got the mail out of the mailbox and had something from the city clerk's office. And I was like, Lord, have mercy, it's another bill. And we opened it up and it was the first installment of our property taxes had been paid in, paid, stamped. It was rubber stamped right on our first box. Paid in full. I'm telling you, he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. If we'll just not 
expect to be entitled without some sacrifice. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask whosoever will this morning to come around this altar and just stand here together as we close in just a form of worship and prayer this morning. I'm going to ask Bishop to come and lead us in that prayer. I don't know who this was for this morning. I told you in the beginning I come with no hidden agenda. I just simply wanted to obey the voice of the Lord today. I know it was strong word. It was delivered to you with love. I hope you know that. But I am scared today that a spirit of entitlement has come into the church so much that we have forsaken who he is for our own knowledge. And that's resulted in us having an appetite of just God bless me, bless me, bless me. Yes, God does bless his children. And I believe in the favor of the Lord, but not because I expect it, but because he's just that good. So I'm going to ask Bishop to come and pray over us this morning as we dismiss. And I wonder if you would just lift your hands together today and just begin to surrender to the Lord and say, God, if that's me, I, I want you to change me this morning and help me. I don't want an age of entitlement in my spirit today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.